Thank you very much. What a sweet time of worship this morning. I don't know, it just seemed extra special sweet to me this morning. It's good every week, but I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor. Pastor John is away today, and I realize he's been away a lot lately, but it's a good time of the year for us to get him away, to get him some some rest from the pulpit. So I have the great privilege of preaching this morning. If you could open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. We're going to read there in just a moment, Um, but let me pray for us. Father, help us to hear from your word today. Help us to apply it to our lives. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. The Lord shares with us this morning, we're going to read this in just a moment, but he's going to share with us a very simple rule, and it, it came apparent to me the other day that I, what I, as I was thinking about this that sometimes the simple rules are, the, are just the most profound rules of all. Let me, uh, let me uh, illustrate for you to get us thinking. This is a tape measure. If you do not know what a tape measure is, this is it. And it's amazing that when you, when you measure something, I work with wood kind of as a hobby, and it's just interesting, like if I was to measure something, and I was to measure it at 24 and one quarter inches, you know how hard it is to read the tape measure backwards? And instead of reading it at 24 and a quarter, you read it at 23 and three quarters because you look at it backwards. There's a very simple rule in construction, measure twice, cut once. See, you know it. A very simple rule. I'm cracking up because I was doing something for my daughter yesterday and I measured this thing out. I went outside, cut it, came back in and put it up to this mirror I was helping to frame for and I went, what did I do? (laughs) I mean, I was just way off. It's just a simple, simple thing to remember. This, I don't know who invented this, but this is a great little tool. It's called a quick square. You know how important it is when you're building to make sure things are square? So this little tool, when you're building something with angles, you can put it up and you can make sure that you've got got it square and you can get all all the corners square. It's very important to make sure that things are square. Another simple rule, if you're building something, you better make sure it's square because when you get down to the end, it might be too late. It's kind of like if you've ever built model cars like I did as a kid, it's like building a model car without using the directions. And you get down to the end and your car's done and you've got so many parts left over but there's nothing you can do about it now because the whole thing's glued together. That's what happens if you don't pay attention to things being square. That is a level. It's also a weapon but we won't talk about that. It is very important to make sure that things are level. If you've ever worked on fences, for example, you want to make sure that the fence is level. You want to make sure that the posts on all sides are level. Because when you put it up, if you don't pay attention to level, it might look really good. But by the time you get to, especially if you have a long run, you get to the end of it, and you look down that fence and you go, oh, wow. And it just looks terrible when you get done. So paying attention to something being level is very important. This tool can also be used as what we call as a straight edge. I can tell you when you're building furniture, especially fine furniture, you want to make sure you make a good straight cut. 
So you use a straight edge to make sure you get a good line to cut on. Again, very important, very simple, but very important to pay attention to because when you get done, if it's not straight, if it's not level, if it's not square, by the time you get done building that desk, you go to put your drawers in and they don't fit and it's all glued together. Very simple, simple rules. And we, but the problem is we don't always pay attention to them, but our Lord gives us a very simple rule this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Listen to what it says. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do for, to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's often called the golden rule. I'm calling it the Lord's straight edge. Kingdom living isn't so much about what you don't do, but about what you do. This simple rule, by the way, talks about what we are to do, not about what we don't do. Although, when Jesus spoke this rule to the audience that would have been listening to him, it would have sounded somewhat familiar because this rule was in the culture. Long before Jesus, God himself came to earth and preached this message, but it was in a negative form. It would go something like this. Do not do anything to anyone that you would not want him to do to you. There was a book that was written long before the days of Christ, and the hero in the book, speaking to his young son, taught him this, and what thou hates, do to no man. There was a Jewish scholar instructing an Egyptian king, and he said to the king, as you wish that no evil should befall you, so you should act on the same principle towards your subjects and offenders. This negative form of the rule is it shows up in all the major religions. But you need to understand it's different than what, what the Lord came in and taught as we read it this morning and as he taught to his audience because the negative form of it really teaches outward behavior, external actions. And it is always done with a desire to receive something in return. So it would go something like this. If you don't enjoy being robbed, then don't rob people. By the way, it's no guarantee. If you don't like being cursed, don't curse, don't curse others. In other words, if you don't want them to do it to you, then don't do it to them. And see, but it's aimed at getting something. If you don't enjoy being hated, then don't hate others. And by the way, it's very easy to do. that. The negative form of the rule is very easy to do in your own power. You know why? Just stay away from people. That's all you got to do. I love watching these shows about Alaska and these people that like to be way out where there's nobody else around. They have no problem with the negative form of this rule. But they've got a major problem with what Jesus is teaching here this morning. Because Jesus does not teach you, don't, you, don't, you, you do things to receive something in return because that focus is on self. Jesus gives you a positive bent on a negative rule that was that was well known. Matthew 7, 12, let's read it again. I want you to hear it. So in everything, do, do to others as you would also have them do 
to you, for this sums up all the laws and the prophets. In other words, this rule is about everything that's been taught in the scriptures. The ESV version of the Bible says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you're an NASB fan, it says, in everything therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And I want us to try to understand what Jesus is saying here, and in order to understand it, You've got to pay attention to this word, so and therefore. You can't just grab this rule and just pull it out and think you're catching what Jesus is teaching us because he says, so or therefore, which leads you back to what has been said before. I want you to know that this this rule is like the end of what is called an an inclusio. That's a literary device that, that... is like it, it brackets a literary device that brackets off the main teaching. So do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the, if you think of something that's bracketed, that is the right bracket. The left bracket is back in Matthew chapter 5. Turn your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Bear with me, and I think this will all come into focus for you in a moment. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, this is where it starts. It's the left bracket, if you will. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And if you drop down to verse 20, it says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And then he says, but if your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were like pious, external, you know, um, kind of the negative form of this rule, they, they, they lived on what they don't, didn't do. They, they tried to follow the laws, and it got them into trouble. They spent a lot of time trying to keep it. They even made some up. And honestly, nobody could surpass what they did because they spent their whole time trying to keep these laws, but it wasn't good enough according to what Jesus says because you're supposed to surpass that. Everything they did was on the outside. That's part of the problem. It's all on the outside. Matthew 23, 27 to 28 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus starts this inclusio by saying, listen, there's something wrong with just outward things. We're tempted to pay attention to what we don't do, but not pay attention to what's going on on the inside. And so inside the left and right bracket is all this teaching to illustrate that. And I'll just, I'll just walk through it really quickly with you. He says, do not murder. And it's almost like he's looking at the Pharisees and he's looking at us and say, listen, you can, you can keep from murdering people. You can not do that, but you need to understand something. If you're angry at someone, you're in trouble. 
If you're angry at someone, you're not right before the Lord. Then he says, and he's given us all these illustrations. Don't commit adultery. Okay, you don't commit adultery. You think that makes you okay? That's an outward, you know, kind of do not thing. Don't do that. You think that makes you okay? It doesn't because if you lust, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. So see, there's something wrong here, and what, that's what he's trying to teach us. Do not divorce. Do not worry. Do not judge. He's, he's saying we have a tendency as people to only pay attention to what goes on on the outside, but we don't pay attention to what it's motivated by and what, it, what happens on the inside. And then comes the right bracket, the text we're looking at today. So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I, I, I'm, I'm not really a fan. <laughs> I'm almost trying to not like the message Bible because I don't like, you know, kind of these paraphrased versions of the scriptures. But I, this is the second time I'm going to quote a passage from them, from that Bible. And here's what it says about Matthew 7:12. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up all God's laws and prophets, and this is what you're going to get. That's the epitome of the scriptures, by the way. That's the epitome of the teaching of of the Word of God. Leviticus 19.18, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against other people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22.38 It mentions the first and greatest commandment, and then it says the second is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Matthew 5, 43 to 45, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And with this simple rule you need to understand something it's not about doing something to get something in return or not doing something to get something in return it's about doing something so that others will see Jesus there's a responsibility in this do this to others and if you want to know how to do it pay attention to how you'd like it done to you in the kingdom of God you do not live to get something in return because you've already got all that you should have or all that you need, and that is eternal life. The responsibility, so often we think, we, think, we think about responsibilities and we think about all the wrong things. Do you know that Jesus did not leave us here to, you know, have a good career or to, you know, rest and relax or go on vacations or whatever it is we do. He left us here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to take the kingdom of God to the world. That's what he left us here for. That doesn't mean all these other things we don't do necessarily. It doesn't mean that we don't have a job because we've got to provide for our family. We don't, you know, we, we obviously don't stay away from people or we can't take the kingdom of the world. Jesus said before he left the earth, now you know this passage, listen to it and embrace it. Don't just listen to it like you've heard it before so many times and you think you know it. Don't shut down your brain because that's part of our problem. We shut down our brains. Jesus said... All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. 
And so often, see, we're supposed to take the kingdom to the world. So often when we hear this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, we think like the second commandment, love others as you love yourself. You need to understand this isn't about self-love. This is about other people. This is about the kingdom. Some people would say, well, I don't love myself very much. I've got to learn how to love myself before I can go out and love others. That's just nonsense. Of course we love ourselves. People that spend a whole lot of time telling everybody how much they don't love themselves, they're doing that to get attention. And they need help, certainly. But we love ourselves. The thrust of this rule isn't about loving self or having something done for us. The thrust of this is we need to pay attention to what we like. We all know what we like. We all know how we, have, how we like to be treated. And then use that as the guide to how to treat others. You can ask your thing, yourself questions like this. What is it that I like? Well, treat other people that way. What are the things that please me? What are the things I don't like? What are the things that upset me and bring out the worst in me? What are the things that are hateful and discouraging? Don't do that to other people. If it bothers you, it's probably going to bother them because they're just like you. What is it that tends to hurt me? If it were me, I would like it if they were speaking to me about something, if they would say it this way. If it were me, I wouldn't like it if they would say it this way to me. If it were me and they say it this way to me, that would hurt and upset me. So I need to not say it that way to other people. If it were me, I would know they love me if they were to say it this way. And by the way, what Jesus is saying here is if you follow this simplest of all rules, you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. And there are those that think all you got to do is teach these things to people. And they'll go, oh, yeah. I get it, and everybody will go out and do it, but they don't. They don't. Do you realize we've had the golden rule for over 2,000 years, and we've been passing rules and legislation all that time trying to fix society, and all we had to do is listen to the golden rule, but people don't do it. We have a tendency to think that our, the problem in the world today, that it's social, it's ethical, it's political, it's economical, and we pass rules to try to address that part of it, but that's not our problem, folks. I'm going to tell you, every one of us struggles with this rule, and every one of us struggles not to do it, because our problem is not social, ethical, um, economical, or whatever. It's one thing. It's theological. We have a theological problem in our culture, and it's called sin. All of mankind is infected by sin. Now, I need to talk to, there's, I'm assuming there's, in this audience, there are two groups of people. You may not know it, but there, but there are. And I need to talk to you separately. I need to tell you that if you don't, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't do what Jesus is talking about doing here this morning. You can't do to others as you would have them do unto you. You are unable to do it. People who don't know the Lord can't are actually unable because they have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 8, 7, and 8 says, the sinful man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. 
Now, by the way, we sometimes refer to these folks as in the scripture, the scriptures refer to them as the natural man. And, they, and the natural man can be really good people, by the way. But the natural man is an enemy to God. If he does not know, the, or I'm using he in the sense of mankind, he or she, if they do not know the Lord, they are actually an enemy of God and actually hate God. Read Romans chapter 1, it'll teach you this. And they don't want to have anything to do with God. They don't want to be told what to do. And it's a terrible place to be. And I'm going to come back and talk to you if you think you're in that camp in just a moment. But I'm going to speak now to the lion's share of, I'm assuming most of you in this room know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And I want you to know that sin affects you as well. I'm going to call it self-love. You have a problem. I have a problem. All of us have a problem with self-love. And it causes us, we read this very simple rule, and I'm telling you that we either won't or don't do it most of the time. We, We won't or we don't do it most of the time. And immediately those who are in a certain theological camp will step up And they'll say, wait a minute, I'm not affected by sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. It's wrong for you to say that I'm affected by sin. Okay, I won't say that then. I'll ask a question. If we are not affected by sin, then why does 1 John 1, 9 tell us to confess our sins? All our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Why are we told to confess our sins if we don't struggle with it? We do struggle with sin. That's why we're told to confess it and agree with God and deal with it in our life. If we don't have a problem with self-love, why does Jesus tell us to deny ourselves in Luke 9.23? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. Now, some would say in certain theological camps that that is a passage dealing with conversion. It's talking about giving your life to Jesus. And I would say, what do you do with the word daily then? Because this is something we do daily. Daily we struggle with self. And if you don't think we struggle with self and self-love, let me give you a few examples to help you to see how much we struggle with it. Let me just use Sunday morning as an example. And let me tell you this. (laughs) I'm going to make you feel guilty right now. I'm just going to come clean and tell you. I want you to know my heart, though, is not to make you feel guilty The Holy Spirit makes me guilty too. You understand everything I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty of. I might not be guilty of it in the same way you are. You might not be guilty of it in the same way I am. But make no mistake, we are all guilty of dealing with self-love. If we don't struggle with self-love, why do we have cell phones go off in our service each and every week? I mean, really, think about it. Now, I know people make mistakes. I've had people walk up and just feel so terrible. I had a lady one week, her cell phone went off and she was just in tears. Pastor Tim, I feel so bad. Okay, people make mistakes. But really, if we really thought about other people, why would we even bring a cell phone into this setting? Because you're not interrupting everybody else, you're interrupting God who is trying to speak to those people. Why would we not, before we ever walked into here, as many of you are reaching to make sure your cell phones are off, this would be the worst time in the world for it to go off, and I would feel terrible, by the way. But really, the bottom line is we really don't think about other people. If we really thought about other people, why wouldn't we get in and be seated 
in our seats by the time the services start. When Christine DeHaan or whoever does the announcement steps up and says, good morning, she's not talking over people who are out talking and just having a good old time, telling everybody how much they love one another. And you know, you know how hard it is to speak when people are talking? We just do it. We keep going. If we really cared about people, wouldn't we be aware of those kinds of things? If we were really aware of people, why would we come in late? You know, I, I, I hate being late myself. I have a simple motto, which you've heard before. Early is on time, on time is late, and late is wrong. <laughs> I hate being late. My wife will ask me on Sunday morning, what time are you leaving tomorrow? I'm leaving at 7.30. Why are you going so early? Because I don't want to be late. I don't want to distract people. But, but see, we don't really think about that. We come sauntering in late while everybody's trying to worship and everybody in the place is going I mean they're not going oh look there he is he's late again or there she is that's not the way it's working but they're distracted from the things of God and if we really cared about people wouldn't we care about that if we really cared about people why would this insert be in the bulletin I'm serious this insert is we need help in the children's ministry. I know what you may be thinking, don't fall for it. Well, you're just promoting the church. Well, you misunderstand then. This is a great example of how we battle with self. Let me tell you about our children's ministry. You know what the purpose of our children's ministry is? Well, I'm sure there's a variety of things, but let me tell you two that I'm aware of. One is, is the children's ministry desires to help you to train your children in the Lord. It's not their job to train them, by the way. That's a parenting thing. That's what you're supposed to do. But as a church, we try to help you with that. So we put good people around your children to help you teach them about the Lord in a setting that they can understand. But secondly, we provide a place for your children to go so that you can be in the services... And you can worship without having to say, settle down, be quiet. It gives you a chance to worship. Well, I don't understand. I really don't. We need five spots in the nursery filled. At the 1030 hour, do you know the two and three-year-old class? On the second, fourth, second, third, fourth, and fifth Sunday, we don't have a teacher. So on the second, third, fourth, and fifth Sunday, fifth Sunday, we have a sign on the door that says, sorry, the class is closed. And that haunts me. I mean, if you have to bring your kid in, I mean, I, I don't like that myself because I want you to worship the Lord. But it, what haunts me is the visitor that comes with their two or three-year-old and they come in and they, they can't, they have no place to put their kid. And when I look at this, I think we're talking four people here one Sunday a month and we've got that class covered. Teachers. We need help in the third and fourth grade on the fifth Sunday only, and we need nine people for the Bible club. Now listen, I know how it works. In this culture today, I know how it works. People come, and I'm just talking about children's ministry as one example. You have to apply it to your life if you don't have children, which, by the way, we have a lot of people that faithfully serve every week in the children's department who don't have children in there. But what about the people that do have children? I know how it works. I'm around kids all the time. I don't want to be around the kids on Sunday. So what that says is, is I'm going to bring my kid 
to services, I mean to children's ministry while I go to, the, to church and I'm going to let someone else do it. And then we say, I can't stay two hours, I'm going to go home. And then the people at the second hour don't have someone to watch their kids or to minister to their kids. And I mean, really, you see, that's self-love. That's not thinking about other people. You take care of my kids one hour and I'll go home the next hour. Or I hear this. My kids can't be there all that time. Come on. They can be there all Saturday afternoon at the soccer field. They can go to class and be there all the time. They get tired. Listen, I have a one-year-old. That's the wrong excuse to give to me. I have a one-year-old granddaughter. If I had a one-year-old, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. (laughs) Probably praying for the Lord to take me home. Um, But I have a one-year-old granddaughter, and she's here all Sunday morning. Does she get tired? Yes, she does. Does she get a little cranky by the time lunch comes around? Yes, she does. And she's taken home and given a nap, and then she's fine. There is no reason why this should, should be this way. I mean, we're talking so few people. We have a problem with self-love, folks, and we need to pay attention to it. Now, I have told you that this very simple rule, do unto others or do to others what you would have them do to you, you either can't, won't, or don't put it into your life. Why? Why? Or how do you do it, I should say? How do you put it into place? If you can't, don't, or won't, how do you put it into place? It's very easy. It's got to start with the Lord. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Let me read the rest of it to you. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? In the law, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's got to start with the Lord. There's no, make no mistake, the first commandment, loving God, is there for a reason. Because you cannot do the second commandment if you don't love the Lord. The second is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now again, two groups of people. Let me talk to the first group of people those of you who do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and you may not know that you are in that camp, but I can tell you what it feels like because I've been there and I've never forgotten it. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. When you do not know the Lord Jesus, you go to church you may go to church because you think it's the right thing to do, but you, you really don't like being there. You, you, you fall asleep. You can't wait for it to be over. It's not something you look forward to, but just out of pure responsibility, you go. If you don't know the Lord, you feel like you're walking around in mud all the time. It's just hard to walk. If you don't know the Lord, you feel lost. I know what it felt like. Everything I did seemed to fail. My marriage was in trouble. My life was in trouble. And I was lost. I know what that feels like, and so do you. But the Bible says the gift of God, the free gift of God is Christ Jesus our Lord. And someone taught that. We went to church one Sunday morning, and some pastor taught that. He was talking about this Jesus guy. That's the way I heard it. And this Jesus guy died on the cross for my sins, died on the cross for your sins, 
He paid the price. And the Bible says if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John 1.12 says, To all who received him, to those who called upon his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's where it needs to start for you. All that's being taught about what you do, you can't do it without the Lord. By the way, that's the first, that's the context of this sermon. It's to drive people to the, to the cross, to help them to know that they need Jesus. And if you need to give your life to Jesus, we're going to be standing down front here in a little bit. I'll pray for us. We'll dismiss you. And if you want to come down and pray with someone and give your life to Jesus, I would encourage you to do that. You'd be surprised how life will change. When we gave our life, when my wife and I gave our lives to Jesus, our marriage was in trouble. We now have celebrated 40 years of marriage and there's nothing that can break us apart, not even death. That's how good it is. But the second group of people I want to speak to are all you who know the Lord Jesus. That's the secondary part of the secondary context of the, of the great Sermon on the Mount is how do you live your life? Well, he tells you how to do it. So in everything do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You know why we don't do it? You know why we have children's classes that aren't filled and we could, we could go over there and help? You know why we don't do it? Because we don't think about it. We don't think about other people. That's kind of the way it is. It's kind of like those people that throw their garbage in my front yard. I'm bitter about it, by the way. We came home the other day. My wife sees a styrofoam cup sitting on the corner of our retaining wall. And she said this, oh yeah, just set it there. Tim and Margie will pick it up. If you live on a corner lot, you know what I mean. But that's the way we are as Christians. So often we just go, somebody else will do it. Oh, you know, Rick and Patsy Turner will do it. They've been doing it for years in the children's department. And that's just one group. I mean, I, I just love those folks because they've served faithfully for years. Somebody else will do it. No, we need to think about it. You have a responsibility to do it. Do. And you can't, please hear me, you cannot sit here and know the Lord Jesus and hear a message like this and walk out the door and go home and do nothing. You need to do something. And if you need to serve in the children's department, have I beat that horse dead enough yet? <laughs> I love Pastor John. He gets up to here and he's, he's so gracious about things and I wish I could be like him, but I'm not. You need to get out that door and sign up to help in children's ministry. And don't please, please. <laughs> I'm also very conservative. I don't like clapping in church, although if you clap, I'm not judging you. <laughs> but listen, not only do you need to think about, I'm using children's ministry as an example. I use Bible club as an example. But you need to understand something. You need to think about what you can do do to others in all areas of life. That is the Christian life. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's an all the time thing. And I violate it just like you do. But we've got to think about the Lord. We need to set our minds on the things of God.
If we don't, we will never do it. Please stand. People tell me I make too many excuses, so I'm not going to make any excuses. I don't feel bad about telling you all what I told you today. Yes, I do, but I'm going to try not to do that. But you know what? I want to tell you something. I wasn't going to say this because I thought you would misunderstand it. But today, September 15th, is the 24th anniversary of the day this church hired me. Today. Now, I bring that up only to tell you this. My wife and I have been in this church over 30 years. All this to say, I can think of no better place to be than here. This is home. This is family. We have walked with you and you with us and all of us with one another through so many things together. I can't think of a better place to be. All this today is just to try to fine-tune us because Christian life is never about being comfortable and saying I've got it all together. It's about doing it more and more better. How's that for good English? Let's pray together. If you need to talk to someone about Jesus or you just need to pray with someone, there'll be um, some of our leadership up here to pray with you. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Father, for this day. We pray that you would go with us now even as we leave this place. Help us, Father in everything to do to others as we would want them to do to us, that they might see you through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all.